0: So this morning, if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, we will continue there. It is great to be in and underneath God's Word together with you all this morning, brothers and sisters. And this morning, we are going to consider uh, verses 34 through 50. You may have recalled that we left off at verse 34 uh, last week, but I'm going to pick back up there for uh, context's sake this morning. But first, let us, uh, let us pray. Father, we uh, come to your word this morning with an expectation. We expect that we will see Jesus more clearly. And Father, we ask for your grace this morning in, the humble, in, the, in, in, in humble submission To the Holy Spirit, we ask that your Holy Spirit would accompany the preaching of your word this morning. We ask for your grace to illuminate our eyes, to see with our hearts the excellency that is in Jesus Christ. We lift up the church that gathers this morning at Creekside and that you would open up the hearts and minds of all who gather there. May the scriptures here this morning be a comfort to the brokenhearted. May they be a correction to the rebellious. May they be a conviction for the converted this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 12. I want to pick up in verse 34. And so I will read through the passage through verse 50. So the crowd answered him. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has given himself Given, has given himself, himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the glorious word of God for us this morning. The point that the evangelist, the apostle John in this gospel, makes and he's been making since we started this study is that these things that have been written are written so that the hearers and the readers might see from the heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by seeing one might believe on him unto salvation. So the big question in the text for us this morning is how could God's people, Israel, be so blind? I don't know how many times as I've studied the scriptures and we look at at just the, the folly and the foolishness of what it seems that these, these Israelite people who had Jesus right in front of them, who had the scripture fulfilled right before their eyes, and they just could not see, and they just could not believe. And I think sometimes in ourselves we think, you know, if I was there, if I was living in those Old Testament times, surely I would not be as obtuse as them. Certainly I would see clearly, and certainly I would believe. But our big question is, how could God's people, Israel, be so blind? Romans 3.2 tells us that every advantage was given to them, that is the people of Israel, as they, the Jewish people, were entrusted with the very oracles of God. Psalm 19.8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word of God is pure, speaks to this. It's a big uh, 10, 10, $10 word, the perspicuity of Scripture, which is clear. See, they use that word to, to talk about clarity, and it's not clear. But the, the perspicuity of Scripture, it is, it is clear. The Holy Scripture is clear, it is cogent, it is comprehensible, it is unambiguous. Martin Luther insisted on the clarity of scripture when he writes this. He says, no clearer book has ever been written on earth than holy scripture. The meaning of scripture is so certain, accessible, and clear that it both interprets itself as well as tests, judges, and illuminates everything else. It is such a bright shining light in a dark world that we can see this light and it gives us light to understand everything else. What more than the word of God could the Jews have possibly needed? As we've seen time and time again in the scriptures, in the gospel, haven't we? It is a sign. We, we must have a sign. Uh, and we need a wonder. We need more evidence that Jesus is the Christ. You may remember that when presented with the evidence of Jesus in chapter 11, they present Jesus with the evidence of his power to call dead men to life, as he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and Lazarus is alive right there in front of them, and they see the evidence right before him, and the Jews decide to destroy the evidence, to kill the one who was raised, and to kill the one who has raised him. So presented with the evidence will destroy the evidence. So what is the problem? What is the problem? Every time I I have uh, hammered at this text this week, I keep thinking of what R.C. Sproul said when when, uh, at a conference and these people were talking about, you know, blaming God if God is sovereign, if God's will is sovereign, then, you know, why am i accountable and and RC's response to this crowd was what is wrong with you people what is wrong with you people what is wrong with the people what is wrong with these jewish people well as we dive into our text this morning we're going to see what the problem is let's look uh, closely again at verse 34 so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So if in that day we asked a, a good Jewish person of the day, we said, "What? if we asked them, what is the most pressing problem facing Israel today? What is the most pressing problem facing the Jewish community today? The answer would probably have been something like this. We are occupied by Rome. We are on the verge of losing our national identity. We need independence. We we need to have our political structures restored. See, and so Israel had this hope for Messiah to come, and they hoped that he would come and heroically solve their political situation, right? When Messiah comes, they thought, well, we'll have our nationalistic and our military hopes realized. Israel recognized that they needed a hero. They needed a hero. But they failed to recognize the most pressing issue. What did they need the hero to do for them? They thought that the hero, Jesus, needed to come and restore their nationalistic hopes to restore their community ideals, to restore them politically, to get them out from underneath the oppression of the Romans. They failed to see their most pressing issue. You see, they had the oracles of God, but they could not fathom that in the scriptures, their pressing issue was actually, has had been revealed uh, to them. It had already been revealed. And we said it right before we took communion this morning. They had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was their problem. This was a problem that they needed a hero to solve. They needed a hero to solve this problem. And here the hero is with the solution to their problem. And they look at him and they say this does not this will not fulfill our nationalistic hopes and our military ideals. The Christ must live forever. This idea that the son of man must be lifted up and must die, this does not fit the narrative as we see our problem. They missed the problem. They knew they needed a hero. But they missed the problem. They missed what the hero might do. They couldn't fathom the type of hero that they needed. So they asked How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted lifted up? The Messiah, the Christ, he will be the promised hero of Israel. He will rule and reign and he will restore Israel. He will destroy the Romans. He will restore our nationalistic hopes and ideals. They had the oracles of God, but they understood the oracles of God to be all about them. They understood the story of the Bible to be about them. The story of the Scriptures was about them. It was about their desires, about their nationalistic political hopes. What they needed was a heroic act of God to save them from their sins. This is what was needed, and they missed it. So I asked us this morning, what do you say that the Bible is? What do you say that the purpose of the Scriptures are for you and for me? I heard recently someone say, That the Bible is B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Well, if you think that that is what the scriptures are, then you believe that the subject of the Bible is you. That the subject of the Bible is you, and that the object of the Bible is also you. That if it is just basic instructions before leaving earth, then it is about you living your best life now. It's all about you. But I want to tell you this, that the Bible from beginning to end is a hero story. And the Gospels as a piece of literature are a, it's a, it's a bios. It is a Greek type of, of biography. It's constructed like one. It describes a hero's origin. It describes his manner of life, his virtues, his death. You see, the Bible's subject is this. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the subject of the Bible. You've got to get this, friends. That Jesus Christ is the subject of the Bible. And the object of the Bible is what? The glory of God. The subject is Jesus Christ, and the object is the glory of God. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures are about its hero. Genesis 3.10, Adam, having committed the first human act of treason against God, says... I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, humanity was now at enmity, at odds with God. And what he needed was a hero. And in verse 15, we get the promise of the hero. It is the first mention of the gospel. It is what they call the proto-evangelium. It is... This, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you you shall bruise his heel. It is the promise of the coming hero who will win the battle for his people. See, humankind needed a hero, not for nationalistic hope as Israel would later suppose, but humankind needed a hero to deal with their treasonous heart. The scriptures then in progressive revelation give the hero types that will ultimately find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. As you might recall from Genesis 22 we see that the hero that is needed is one who will be a sacrificial hero. In Genesis 22 it says God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. The hero that we will need is a heroic mediator. He is a rescuer. Moses Is that type in Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and all of the others, typify the hero who speaks forth the very words of God. The Levitical priests are the type of heroic priests to, to our God that readies, uh, God's people to worship Him aright. Doesn't all of this sound like it points to Jesus Christ who does all of those things, who is the ultimate fulfillment of all of those things? And in David, we see a hero. We see, in David, we see a hero who is a champion. No one will fight Goliath. God raised up His champion to fight for his people, Israel. God raised up Jesus Christ, our hero, to fight for his people. And the one who fights for God's people is the heroic king. In Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. David points us to the heroic king. The heroic king who fights for his people. So we notice here in this passage, though, that Jesus doesn't answer their question concerning the Son of Man. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The Scriptures have been clear that Jesus is the Messiah. It has been clearly laid out before them. The Scriptures have been clear to them. Jesus' earthly ministry plainly displayed that truth before them. He plainly taught it to them. If they were to believe, though, there's still a major problem. Their eyes must be open to the truth that stands right before them. Their eyes must be open to the truth that stood right before them and right now. They could not see. Verse 35. So here's Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who looks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. See, Jesus here is saying a lot. He's saying that to see Jesus as the Christ with your eyes, you must first be given the gift of sight from the heart. Jesus says, I am the light among you. Believe today, lest your heart become darkened to the point that you'll never see. I think about the times that the gospel was preached to me as a young person, and I said, No, 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 not for me. What a dangerous game for me to have played with that truth. I had no guarantee that I'd have another day. The light was there before me. My heart could have continued in darkness to the point that I couldn't ever see. Heaven's hero is the light from heaven. And he says, Heaven's hero is this light from heaven right now, uh, people, that is shining on you, and he's only shining on you for a little while. God must act upon you if you are to become the sons of God if you are to become the sons of light. In the prologue of chapter 1 John says that Jesus was life and that life was the light of men further John says that darkness could not comprehend the light and what he means there is that which is in humanity cannot overcome the darkness that which is in us the sin that dwells that dwelt in each one of us before we were saved, could not overcome the darkness of our hearts and our sins. It was impossible. The only reason why any of you in this room believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the light of the world that has come from heaven, the only reason any one of you I, can, I know I can boldly say this. The only reason that any one of you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is because God has acted upon your heart. Because God planted light into your heart. That God took your hard-hearted soul and wrecked it for good. By the way, when I say wrecked it, I mean good. He wrecked it and he wrecked it good. That is the only reason why you and I believe. Because that which is in us cannot illuminate the darkness of our eyes and of our heart unto faith. God had to act. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, still they did not believe so that the word spoken by, the, by Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Though Jesus perform, performed many signs before them, they still did not believe. You might recall that, that despite the signs that they witnessed, they continued to ask for more. If you show us just one more sign, then we will believe. Remember in chapter four, when Jesus heals the official's son Jesus rebukes the crowd and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What he's really saying here is that even if you see the miraculous signs, you will not believe because your heart must be transformed to believe me, to believe me at my word, to believe what the word of God says. Your heart must be transformed. Who has believed what has been preached? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question from the prophetic word of Isaiah. The answer is those to whom God has sovereignly chosen to see and to believe. It is them who believe. It is them who the Lord has revealed himself. You see, I want you to get this. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. Faith faith is a gift from God that is given by grace so that none of us may boast. You see, in our human heart, we have no desire for God unless God first acts upon us. You know, I was thinking about this. Those who deny that they're sick. I'm glad my wife's not here because I denied when I had COVID, I denied it. I kept saying, I'm not sick. I just don't feel well, right? Over and over again. This was my mantra for about 10 days till I was really sick, right? But those who deny that they're sick will never seek a physician, will they? You need to go to the doctor. I'm not sick. I said this to her many times. You need to go see a doctor. I'm not sick. I just don't feel well. We haven't been out of bed in 10 days. I know, but I'm not sick. I just don't feel good. I'll get over it, right? Well, this is this idea that Israel had denied their illness. The Jewish people denied their illness. That they were sin-sick people. We were chosen by God. We are the chosen people Israel. We were His people. We have no need... For a physician, we're all well. We are fine just the way we are. Well, those who deny they're sick, they don't seek a physician. Those who do not understand their desperate situation will never seek a hero to rescue them. See, this is, this is the, the hard part of the gospel, isn't it? Isn't this the, the part of the gospel that sometimes we shrink back from? That we sh- shrink back from telling our friends and neighbors? You are sick. Your heart is sick and wicked beyond anything else on the planet. There is nothing sicker. There is nothing more depraved than the human heart. That's the truth. That is, that is, that is the flat out truth. For every walking human being on the planet, lest God act upon them. Lest God act upon them. They need a hero. Everyone needs this hero. I hope that you and I come here on the Lord's Day to celebrate and praise and say, we have a hero. Our hero is Jesus Christ. I could not save myself. The hero came and he rescued me. The hero came and shined light into my heart. The hero came and took my hard-hearted, wicked self and changed me. I have a hero. My hero is Jesus Christ. Therefore, it says in verse 39, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Hard-hearted, sin-infected Israel rejected the light of the Messiah that was right there in front of them. Whose fault is it? It seems when you first read this passage that God hardened their hearts. Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? Due to their own darkness, God hardened and blinded them further. They were already hardened and blind to the Lord. See, sometimes you'll get what you ask for. You say, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God. Over and over again. Keep saying it, and soon you'll get exactly what you ask for. He will harden your heart to the point that you cannot believe. Believe that you cannot see with your eyes. See, due to their own darkness, God hardened and blinded them such that they could not believe. Before any of us declare, what is wrong with these people? We should understand that this blindness to the word of God made flesh is not merely a Jewish problem. It's a Spring Hill Church problem. It's a Yamhill County, Oregon, USA global problem. This condition of depravity in us all, it is the condition of humankind. If you or anyone else should believe that Jesus is the Christ, if anyone is to heed the word of God preached, then the Holy Spirit of God must attend and accompany the preached word and soften hard hearts that one might believe from the heart and see the light of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, God must act. Now, as you notice in this passage, It is Isaiah. And remember when Isaiah was told to go, right? God says, but these people will be hardened and they won't listen to you. Oh Lord, send me, sign me up. But he's telling you, you will not succeed in what I'm sending you to do. For the most part. And as I think about that in in the act of preaching God's word and week in and week out. It will not succeed, I know, by any effort of my own. I will never succeed in accomplishing what it is that God's word wants to accomplish in myself. I must have the Holy Spirit accompany and attend the preaching of God's word. I must not worry about the result. I must leave that result to the power of God and the Holy Spirit. But I should never, ever shrink back from the preaching of God's word as Isaiah did not. Here I am, send me. Who will go? Here I am, send me. You won't have success. Here I am, send me. I trust in the power of God to do what only God's power can do. And so, God uses these, this means of the preached word to accomplish that end. He does. There are many times when, as a preacher of God's word, it seems futile. Man, I am not making any progress here. But it isn't futile. God is at work when the Holy Spirit attends to the preaching of God's work. God's work accomplishes it. God called Isaiah to preach the word of God and said his preaching will not be received. And then verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. See, Isaiah said, I will go, I will tell the word of God, I will proclaim Jesus Christ because I have seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ through the scriptures. It has been revealed to me. My own hard heart has been softened. My blind eyes have been opened to the truth of God's word. And I see the glory of heaven's hero and he is coming. He saw the glory of heaven's hero coming. I see the glory of heaven's hero coming, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he proclaims the truth to hard hearts, trusting that God himself would call those who would believe. You see, Isaiah or Jim Ambrose or Margo or me, us, we have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ and we have that word to proclaim and trust the Holy Spirit to reveal him. In John 1, uh, 18, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. That is, Jesus has made the Father known. Our duty as Christians is to make him known. We make him known through the word of God. Nevertheless, many of even the authorities, verse 42, uh, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The authorities are, who are believing here are clinging to their temporal earthly life. The treasure of being well thought of in society holds them back from embracing the glory of God. Again, it seems to me that if we do not realize the depths of our depravity and we don't realize the links that God and His glorious grace has gone to save us, then we will exchange the glory of God for something less, for lesser glory. You see, at times I've been accused of being one of those sovereignty of God guys. Uh, one of those guys who thinks rather lowly of humankind. I would tell you that's not true. I just think very highly of the God who saved me. I think very highly of the God who saved me because I know the depths of the depravity with which he saved me from. I know the depths of the hardness and the darkness of my heart. And I know that he and only he could have enlightened my heart. As we said at the beginning, you know, everything that we do and everything that we are is that God, we love him because he first loved us. God acted upon us and we respond. I know that God has come in a great way and come a long way to save me. If that does not fill you with praise and with glory for God, I don't know what really can. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment and what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You see, the preached word of God leaves none of us with an excuse. Jesus anticipates this, that one might say, if I don't believe, I'm not responsible because God in his sovereign will has blinded my eyes and hardened my heart. And Jesus says, if you believe me, it is not me you believe, but you believe the God who sent me. If you have been enlightened to the truth, it is because God has acted upon you. When the word of God is preached and attended upon by the Holy Spirit of God, human responsibility and the sovereign will of God meet. We see this in this text. Jesus, the word made flesh, he came to save but not to judge the apostle john came to proclaim the word the word of god but but not to judge i came to preach the life saving gospel of god revealing his word to you here this morning not to judge but the very words of christ that are proclaimed by the evangelist john the ones that are preached by me they in the end will be your judge because you have heard the very words of God and you are accountable to them those who have been appointed to salvation will believe and receive those words but those who do not cannot blame God he owes no one salvation he doesn't owe it to you and he doesn't owe it to me it is by grace that you have been saved and the the apostle Paul he anticipates this idea of human responsibility and blaming God doesn't he in Romans 9 God gives grace to the undeserving doesn't he God gives grace to the undeserving, and to the rest, he gives the wages of sin. God gives grace to the undeserving, but he gives to the rest what is deserved. And Paul, in Romans 9, anticipates this. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. The word of Isaiah The word of the evangelist, the word preached to you this morning is a light from heaven. It is the word of God concerning heaven's hero, Jesus Christ. God sent his word in the person of Jesus Christ on a heroic rescue mission. Hard-hearted, spiritually blinded, sin-infected souls separated from God are promised a hero as a sacrifice for their sin. A hero that can stand before holy God sinless and pure and accepted as a son. A hero that makes sinners fit for worship. A hero, a heroic king who fights for God's people and rules and reigns in eternity. This is Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. This is the light of the world that had come to them and has come to us. I ask you as Jesus was asking them that today was the day Today's the day to walk in the light, lest you become darkened further. Today's the day to walk in the light. I ask you today to repent and believe the gospel. If you receive Christ, you receive the words that were preached. And if you receive those words, you receive God. None of you knows how long our light may last. I will tell you this, it will surely pass quicker than you think. I don't think I was 17 three weeks ago, you know, in my own mind. My brother-in-law says, no, you've gotten old fast, but no. Um, You know what I mean? I was was young not long ago, it seems. Like a a blink of an eye. It seems like I became 55 overnight. I was a child and then I was 55. I don't know how that happened, but it did. So none of us knows how long, and it's surely going to pass faster than we think. And here's the thing, and I've said this many times, that none of us knows if we're getting out of the parking lot today. Today may be the only light you have left. Today may be the day. Don't let darkness overcome you. Don't pass by the invitation to come to Christ today. Don't harden your hearts to God's word. Receive them. Receive them as the very words of God. Receive them as life. The very words you heard today, if you reject them, though, they are the words that will judge you for eternity. So Jesus says, came to save, but I proclaim the word of God. And these very words, if you reject them today, will come to judge you for eternity if you reject them. Let us take a moment and silently reflect upon God's word this morning. And Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. We praise you for the heroic savior that you have sent us. I pray Lord that we would understand the depths of our depravity and the links that you went to to rescue us from our sin. That you laid your life down willingly for us, for those who once hated you, for those who once rejected you. You laid your life down for us. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize the depths of our sin and the depths of your grace and your mercy. And that would cause us to be those who sing glory to God, glory to God, as we did this morning. That that would be the continual praise of our lips as we go about this week. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.